Hello and welcome to Salamcast. This week, Chris and Mike are joining me. How are you doing, Mike? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks. Well, yeah, good, apart from talking about the town, but I'm all right, yeah. <laughs> and Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. I think Mike sums it up. Uh, the, football, the chat tonight might not be as cheery as some of our podcasts. We'll try, but probably not. Yeah, so we'll cover the transfer window a little bit. Then we'll talk about, um, just run through the games, and then we'll talk about some themes, um, lots of themes um, around Shrewsbury Town um, and on-field performances. And then we'll do a little bit of salad news to, to close it out. Um, so, yeah, let's jump into it. Now Shrewsbury are chasing the winning goal. Stoke City are collapsing here. And it's Doherty. Low for Lawrence! Extraordinary! So transfer window, since the last time we did a podcast, Shooter Town, and please correct me if I'm wrong, I've missed anyone, but we signed Phillips, um, Finnegan and Fleming. Um, I think they're the, the last three that we signed um, with the other ones we covered on the podcast. We didn't. We lost um, Hearns to uh, Newcastle, um, heard various things. The club said we had a substantial sell-on clause, which mean, suggests to me it's more than 20%. Um, and I've heard figures between £400,000 and £700,000. Um, Chris, any thoughts on Hearns going to Newcastle? Uh, you can't blame the kid for taking the opportunity, can you? He's off to you know the richest club in the world right now and a club that's clearly going to be a big player in the Premier League for years to come. So what an opportunity for him. Money in the bank for us. I doubt he'll kick many balls for their first team. But, you know, if in three or four years they sell him for three million quid and we've got 20 percent of that, then it's free money for us, isn't it? So I, I don't I'm not too bothered, to be honest. It's sad in a way. You want to see your homegrown players playing for you. But he only joined us when he was, I think, 16. So it's not like we've had him long. Uh, so, yeah, good luck to him. And I think a good deal for us. Anything to add on that, Mike? Uh, well, I just noticed I was watching the, the iFollow last night and uh, the only thing I can think of is that the, the media team have got some work to do because at half-time in the game, they were showing this video and, and I think Feeney's in it and Dunkley's in it and some of the ladies' team. And Travis Hearns is in it about four or five times, so they're going to have to edit him out of that and put somebody else in there. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, no fair play to him. Like, like Chris says, really, you know, he wasn't with us long. We've turned him round, we made a profit on him and, and that's something the club should be looking to do more often uh, if they're going to you know, become self-sustaining, get these sell-on clauses and turn these young kids around it's it's a bit of a model for survival isn't it yeah it's making a fortune for clubs like exeter city that approach isn't it mike i was reading you know that ethan ampadu's move to swansea uh, to leeds united this summer has made exeter i think they had 20 percent on that deal and it's banked them two or three million quid for a player that left them years ago and he's one of several players that have done that in recent years so if we can start replicating that kind of model then yeah it, it brings the money in without actually impacting your squad in the future so Let's hope Hearns is, the, I suppose, the first of many in a way that go on to make us some serious money. The only thing I'd add to that is, what's well, the probability of him playing for Newcastle is probably less than 1%, given the, the quality of players they're trying to attack, attract now. Um, and I would possibly argue that, yes, he's probably much wealthier now today. He's probably got a nice income. Um, but could it be greater if he'd stayed at Shrewsbury? and then gone to another team as a first-team player rather than just going as another development kid. So, yeah, there's a lot of players that have, I think, forged their talents in the EFL. Um, obviously, you can still do that on loan. Um, so, yeah, there's a counteract to that. 
Yeah, totally agree with that as well, Ollie. And actually, one of the classic examples of that is another one of ours, Connor Goldson. Connor Goldson could have left us to go to Tottenham Hotspur, chose to stay here at Shrewsbury instead of joining their under-23s, ends up being a key man under Mickey Mellon, plays in a, champ- a promotion-winning team, and then did get his move anyway up, up the leagues to Brighton and now obviously to Rangers as well. And he's had a terrific career. So sometimes, yeah, maybe it's better, better the devil you know. I suspect if Goldson had gone to Spurs, he might not have ended up having the, the professional career that he's actually had. Yeah, so yeah, um, interesting to see how he turns out. Obviously, we benefit if he does do well. Um, and then players that came in, um, good to see. Obviously, we've got a striker, a friend of mine, Tom, who's a big Morecambe fan, and was absolutely raving on WhatsApp about um, Phillips. Um, he says he's an all-round striker, can run in behind, good player. Um, hopefully, he can score some goals. It sounds like he's a bit of a real talent. Um, and then, obviously, Finningham, who's a really highly rated uh, midfielder from Southampton. So that's a good. And then, obviously, we've had to change course a little bit with Fleming coming in. But we signed a player who's played um, for Oxford and played um, for Hull in the Championship. Um, so you'd expect he's an upgrade on Benning. Um, so I think that's a, a sensible move all around. Yeah, Phillips, Finnegan, Fleming, Chuck Feedian as well. We've got quite the Irish tongue twister there in our recruitment this summer. So... Yeah, we're going to get have fun saying those, aren't we? But they look on paper, good signings. You know, they're what we needed. We needed striking options. Phillips, proven in League One. You know, we've brought in Matter as well over the last few weeks. Matter, not obviously proven at this level, but seems to have some pedigree. We needed a midfielder. Finnegan's raved about from his previous loan spell. And uh, yeah, as you said, we desperately needed a left wing back. And Fleming looks a more promising bet for us than Mal Benning. So yeah, on paper, all three of them look like decent deadline day deals and uh, the proof will be in the pudding as it were. But yeah, I was happy at uh, 11 o'clock on Friday evening when those deals were all done. I'm going to have to be a little bit of misery again, aren't I? I, I was, you know, the, the deals that we've done, they fill holes in the squad that probably need to fill in. I'm just a bit disappointed that in all the transfer business we did, we didn't really bring in anybody who who adds to the, the experience and the sort of the leadership group of the team. We're bringing in a lot of kids, a lot of guys who've, who've, you know, done well on six months loans here or played a handful of games in League One here. Or I'm not seeing a lot of people who are going to come into the squad and raise the probably raise the floor, you know, and push up the ceiling of the, of, of of established League One or even, you know, people who played two, three, four seasons in the championship and are dropping down. That's what I wanted to see to bolster the, the projects and the young, youthful exuberance in the squad. You know, players like a Luke Leahy, you know, you know, Abu Agogan, we signed him, or, you know, Alex Rodman, people that have been in the leagues a long time and grow, sort of what I was sort of like grown man footballers, I suppose is what I would call them. Um, that's what I was hoping we'd get in. So, you know, if James Collins had come down, as unlikely as it was, if Ryan Woods has come, as, as unlikely as it was, somebody with a bit of pedigree just to add to the, to the youth. That's what I was kind of hoping for. Yeah, I agree with that. I think we wanted to hopefully bring in, you know, one or two, you know, a James Collins, when that was rumoured um, that we were going to sign him, something like that, I think we'll probably take that that boat, um, put that, take that box for you, Mike, to bring in a bit of maturity and a bit of quality um, into the team. But yeah, we, we are where we are. The window's slammed shut now. Um, I think, yeah, the proof will be in the pudding. Um, some of these loan players, obviously, players on second loans typically do a little bit better. Um, and yeah, it's good, good to see that the window's closed now. We can just focus on the football. <laughs> um, are we so, calling it football? Are we what we've seen recently? Well, we we'll with? come exactly. We'll come on to that in a moment. Um, so yeah, let, let's switch on to the games. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so uh, four games, Ollie, since uh, since we last met for a podcast, as it were, and a, a mixed bag of results, more negative than positive, to be honest. Uh, we started with, in in this sequence of games, a 1-0 defeat at home to Lincoln. Real shame, that one. We'd come into that off the back of a decent victory, and we were looking to build on that and really, really cement what was starting to look like a positive start to the season. We had uh, we played some decent stuff in the first 45 against Lincoln. As I recall it, we were the better side for large portions of that, but without ever really looking like scoring a goal, which is a theme that's going to come up a bit in this. And then we tailed off in the second half. Lincoln started to get a foothold in the game and ended up getting the only goal of the game. Uh, they'll feel like it. It was probably felt like daylight robbery to them because they weren't that good that day either. But a win for them and a, a, a poor result for us. Followed that up with a trip to, trip to Fleetwood. I was sat at that game, Ollie, with yourself and with my son, Thomas. We were there at that one. It's the fifth away game for my son, actually. I've taken him to a few places now. And bless him, he's been a harbinger of doom for sure. He's been played four, lost four before Fleetwood. So he's finally seen his first away win. So he was thrilled to bits with that. Uh, but, you know, the 1-0 win doesn't really tell the tale of the day, does it? Because, uh, let's face it, we were pretty poor. And uh, the goal came from a mistake, a fantastic goal from Daniel Udo. Great sprint down from half, from deep in his own half to finish. Seconds later, the Fleetwood goalkeeper sent off as well. And he's think at that point that we're going to steamroller them. But the second half, I've got to give credit to Fleetwood with 10 men. They uh, they dominated that game. They put us under pressure. And if if I was a member of the Fleetwood coaching staff, you know, I'd have been shaking my head at how we didn't how they didn't win that game because. They were all over us. They caused chances. They caused us trouble. They had the ball in the net, marginally offside. But uh, yeah, we just we just didn't perform, and uh, it, the, the result flattered us. But we'll take it. We were awful for the whole game. Um, we were getting battered, um, particularly down our left flank. Before we scored the goal, they scored us could, could have scored at least two at that period of time, as you said, Chris. Um, and then yeah, it was a mental ninety seconds. A doe goal, goalkeeper sent off. Um, and then not to mention, obviously, in the 94th minute or so, one of their players stamped on Bennett. And, yeah, obviously there's a lot of issues going on at, um, at Fraud, Fraudwood, or sorry, Fleetwood Town. Um, and, yeah, a lot going on there. Um, and, yeah, it's it was we are lucky to get three points, I thought, there, Mike. Yeah, I mean, prepping for the pod tonight, I've watched back, you know, trying to check the highlights of all the games you're going to cover. The, the highlight package for the Fleetwood game showed our goal, and the two send-ins off. That was all we contributed in 90 minutes that was worthy of putting on the highlights. There must have been six, seven, eight chances of Fleetwood, you know, one flashing across the box, banging it off the post, having one clear off the line. You know, we, we were under the cross whole thing, and it, it, it was quite shocking to see it back and, and remember how, how poor we were. You know, great, granted it was a win, but, you know, even in that win, we didn't look good. The only win we're talking about, we still looked shaky, didn't we? I had some concerns as well in that game about the mentality of some of our players when under pressure. So I've raved about our centre-backs at times on this podcast. But in that game, two of them made really unusual errors that should have cost us. So, you know, Joe Anderson with a really bad slip that let them in and they didn't make anything of it. And then second half, Feeney, an awful one, delays on the ball for ages, robbed from possession, cross comes in and Marriott puts it in the net. Fortunately for us, Marriott was fractionally offside but the chance entirely came from Feeney just being asleep in possession and I don't know what was going on there but those are that those are not mistakes that we can get away with too often you know we got away with it that day but if they're doing that week in week out we're going to pay for it. I thought it was quite interesting as well where we were sitting we could see um, Matt Taylor 
like you know pretty much if you see him, most of the pitch you would see him in the corner of your eye and he looked quite a frustrated figure throughout the game with us giving the ball away and yeah he had quite a bit of an argument didn't he with Feeney when he gave the ball away shouting and what he was doing Feeney was trying to blame someone else uh, but to be honest he was completely at fault for that um so yeah so not good um and but you know we were going to bounce back weren't we against um, a newly promoted side <laughs> yeah so then off to Carlisle United and you think to yourself, okay, we got ourselves an away win at Fleetwood. We didn't get the performance, but we did let get the results. So let's go there and get both. Let's go and get the win. And that would have elevated us high into the top half. And again, you'd have felt, you know, we're flying here. We're doing pretty well. But what happened was, yeah, yet again, a bit of a stinker of a performance, wasn't it? I actually thought, I watched that game, I'll be honest, on iFollow, I wasn't in Carlisle, but I did watch the match. And for the first 15 minutes, we were playing all right. We were on top in the first 15 and uh, we had them penned back without really creating much. I remember Fleming from left, from the uh, the left-hand side, probably, sorry, uh, Benning, sorry, from the left-hand side, having our best opportunities, curling one wide with his right foot. But yeah, we, 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 we looked decent. But then gradually again, Carlisle got on top and we never recovered. We never seemed to be able to build momentum when we've got it we seem to we seem to have these very brief pip, uh, patches of possession and then it drifts away and never comes back and in that game it really didn't come back and uh by by the time by the time they got their goal they probably deserved it and by the end of the match we could have no quibbles with losing that game because we just didn't do enough and while they weren't great they always looked more threatening around the penalty area than we did so yeah that was worrying for me this is a Carlisle side that hadn't won a game as well let's not forget so I'm not going to be um, saying you know I'm not saying they're a terrible side or anything but it's a game where we'd have probably been targeting a result and we'll be frustrated yeah. I'm sure it feels like we've been suckered by Paul Simpson as well you know in the pre-match he was saying you know we're, we're a promoted side they did well last season we've got to make it difficult for them we've got to make it horrible for them we've got to really draw them into a battle and we fell completely into his trap as well we did that Feeney particularly because he's going back to his old club you could see the event, the occasion really got really got to him, and he was he was sort of trying to compete for everything. And I just felt like we, we sort of shot ourselves in the foot by getting drawn into their complete game plan as well. We didn't manage the game properly at all. Yeah, you yeah. talked about Feeney there. I mean, his mentality in that game drove me crazy, to be honest. I mean, the the reaction to Simpson at the end is ludicrous. I I just think as a professional footballer, you've got to handle yourself better than that because he's made himself a target now because next time we play Carlisle for a start, they'll be all over him in his ear, I'm sure, during the game. But even other teams, that'll get around. You know, you can wind up that centre-back and he's going to get... If it's not from the if it's not from the crowd, it's going to be from players on the pitch. He's going to he's going to make himself a target, and he's shown that he can't handle it, and that's that's a concern for me. And I I, I just couldn't get over that because Simpson's comments. I'm I, I, Shrewsbury fans have got really angry about some of this. That the clip that was around was a minor clip from a longer interview, and I, I've only read the longer interview. But to be honest, it wasn't that it wasn't that provocative, and I just think Feeney's allowed himself to be drawn in. And he needs to, I just think he needs to grow up a little bit, to be honest. He's a 23-year-old defender, so he is quite young. But to me, he's got to handle that. If that's, if that's, if he can't take a bit of stick, if this is Carlisle United, this isn't Manchester United. This, okay, I'm sure they're passionate. And Carlisle fans on Twitter were telling me that they create a toxic atmosphere at Brunton Park. The crowd was 7,300. You know, we're not talking a giant of football here. So, yeah, I just think Feeney let himself and us down. But maybe, maybe I'm harsh, but that's how I felt. I think he did, but I can sense why he's frustrated. Um, Paul Simpson talking to the media has controlled the narrative. Um, Feeney's clearly not happy with that. Um, obviously, Paul Simpson puts out it's almost you know it's harder to harder to um, you know argue against a lie than it is you know to, to get it out there. So whether what's true or not, it's really hard for Feeney. I can feel that's frustrated. Then obviously, Paul Simpson gets a chance to talk. Um, 
to the media afterwards. I don't believe don't believe anything Paul Simpson said at all. Um, it's, it seems quite convenient for him to you know create a scapegoat, um, and it worked. And you know if you're being if you're going to give him credit, maybe it was smart. He created a, uh, a you know he created a, a siege ment- a mini siege mentality against Feeney in terms of players leaving. He made the play, the fans probably quite appreciated his comments because then it's he's they they love Paul Simpson a bit more. And then he winds them up for the the pre-match. Um, and you're right, Chris. He shouldn't have reacted like that after the game. He's it's just a lose-lose situation. He and hopefully, really, that's where a senior pro or manager comes to him and say, "Mate, you've lost. You're going to lose this battle. You've got no chance." He's a football manager. He can talk to the media three times a week. He can talk about you whenever he wants, and you can't do anything about it. You just got to get on with it. Um, so he's he needs to walk away and but, do his talking. On yeah, the pitch. exactly. That's what he needs to do. Last season, you know, I don't like the guy, but Josh Vella left us for Fleetwood, and we went to Fleetwood and won. Josh Vella came back to our place. He kept his mouth shut. He came back to our place. They thrashed us at our place last he season. He smiled Bella and he clapped. He did day. it against him. He he did it the right way. He's, he he smiled. He's a bit silly on Twitter. I'm not sure if he still owes a few pints to shoes to fans, mm-hmm. um, but he smiled. He clapped at the end of the game. He he played. He played kind of the bit of the banter. But I guess that's a more senior pro. Just one thing on the Carlo game. I did think it was quite funny that yeah, there was loads of them, lots of them on Twitter, and most football clubs don't even bother finding your tweets. But it's always funny when they do. And they got very upset. I called them a poor side, and I thought it was two poor teams. I thought we made them look good, as you said, Chris. The gaping gaps that we gave um, them made them look better than they are. They had one shot on target in 90 minutes. And for me, they're a poor side. I'm not saying they're going to be a poor side all season, but for me, that was a really poor game of football. And I think it's fair to say we've seen a lot of League One football over the last eight years, and we know what is a good or average or bad League One side. And I think at the moment, they didn't look very good. I'm not saying they're going to be in trouble because, you know, in five games' time, they could be on a, on a good run. Um, but I didn't really particularly, didn't particularly impress me um, in that match. And that's a worry, isn't it? Because uh, we've played six league games now. You say Carlisle aren't a good League One side. Not many of the teams we've played are we good League One sides. We lost to Lincoln, who will probably prove to be Lincoln a decent, decent. One league, league One side. But against us, they weren't very good. They were there for the taking that day, frankly. We, a, a decent Shrewsbury side, a decent Shrewsbury performance would have won that game because they didn't play well. And everybody else we've played are teams you'd expect to be down the bottom end of the table. So, you know, Bristol Rovers is our next league game. And... I'm not looking forward to that one, to be honest, because I, you know, they they got some good players there, and their their, their mentality—you can never question their commitment—and you, you you fear about what's going to happen to us, and you fear about how we're going to do against some of those bigger sides. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, it, it is concerned. You know, the points we picked up so far against bottom, second bottom, and third bottom, everybody's taking points off them. So when, when it all shakes out at the end of the season, I don't think those points are going to do any do us any favours, are they? And um, and also, even though we've beaten those sides. Uh, and we're saying, oh, yeah, you know, Cheltenham are no good, Burton are no good, Fleetwood are no good. We've laboured against them. We've not blown them away. We, we, you know, so when you put the eye test on it, other scenes must be saying the same about us. Shrewsbury are no good. How have we lost to them? Or, you know, you know, God God knows what Forest Green Rovers fans think of us. But um, well, I'm sure we'll get to that in the next game, really. But, yeah, it's just even though we're beating them poor teams, we're still poor, I think, at the moment. Yeah, which which we'll come back to some of the underlying data because I think the eye test we've been failing. I mean, it was really funny actually. It was um, a Cheltenham fan put me onto this, so I was a little bit tongue in cheek trying to make us feel a little bit better. I said, "Oh, you know, it could be worse." Um, you know, Cheltenham haven't scored a goal yet. Um, and then a um, uh, obviously a well um, kind of studied um, Cheltenham fan goes, "I don't know what you're laughing about. You got the lowest xG in the division." Which I was like, "Oh, okay, that's an interesting stat." I went out a look, and he was 100 percent right. And I'll come on to some of these stats because they are horrific, horrific reading, um, considering there's a team that in the division hasn't scored a goal yet. 
Uh, but before we, before we get to that, I just want to just kind of set the scene. And me, uh, so I've been to of these games, I've been to quite a few of them, went to Fleetwood away, watched the Carlisle game. And coming into the next game, I was chatting to you guys, wasn't I, in the WhatsApp group saying, we're going to play Fleming, we're going to play Finnegan, we're going to bring Matter in the side. Um, yes, obviously, get you know, whether it's in the league or against Forest and Green in, in the in the Pizza Cup, I was thinking, you know, there's some positivity that we're going to bring some better players into the side. And I was really looking forward to Tuesday night, thinking this mm. is a chance for us. You know, not saying that, you know, Forest Green is some kind of non-league side, you know, that they're not doing that well in League Two, but they're still going to put up a decent, a decent fight and a decent, decent match. But I was really looking forward to seeing a performance from us. And I think it's fair to say, Chris, we didn't see one. Well, we saw a performance, but it wasn't very good. First 15 minutes were quite good, but overall, it was not a good performance. So, I, you know, I try to be positive on these things. Usually on these podcasts, I'm the semi-positive one. Mike's the semi-negative one, and we meet somewhere in the middle sometimes. Tonight, I feel like I've jumped, li- I've jumped the sh- line, and I've joined Mike on the semi-negative side because I don't have much positive to say. Welcome aboard. You join us over here, Chris. It's lovely. I will try to say a few positive things about that Forest Green game in that, you know, clearly we created a lot more throughout the match. We, I think... The stats were 25 shots at goal, 13 in the first half, 12 in the second half. You know, these are numbers for us that we haven't seen this season. But what really concerned me the most was that we were just so easy to open up. Forest Green were marching through the middle of the field at will in that second half. And uh, and we were just, it was like we were rolling out the red carpet and saying, yeah, come and have a shot at our goal if you fancy it. And this wasn't, this is a lead two side, like you said, and not, and they'd made eight changes just like we had last night. So this was not a first choice lead two side. Now, it's whatever you say about that competition, we put out a pretty strong team last night. We'd made eight changes, but three or four of those would probably think that they've got a good chance of starting against Bristol Rovers. So that was a strong team last night. We would be expecting to win that game. Never mind be competitive. I expected to win that game. And if I just don't understand how we could gift them uh, opportunities the way we did and possession actually uh, our use of the ball again we our passing is so poor we give it away time and time again and you just feel a bit more composure and that game was there to be won last night because yeah we could have been yeah we could have had two or three goals in that first half we hit the post from Taylor Perry Perry was bright Sobawale on the right hand side was bright I thought Mata showed flashes of promise so there were things there that made me think yeah not too bad but we just can't finish and then we gift them goals and it was just depressing i'm just depressed i'm a depressed shrewsbury fan mike and i don't think you can cheer yeah. me up I'm, I'm gonna do I'm, I'm gonna do nothing for your your positive well your attempts at positivity anyway like i i've seen it a lot today and and after last night people saying well you know look at all the shots we had what did they amount to us conceding the most goals we conceded in a match so you can have all the shots you want but it, it's only you know it only tells part of the story doesn't it if we're taking weak powder puff pot shots from the edge of the box and where's that come from as the as the manager sent them out to just shoot on site because that's the sort of thing we've seen it that, before haven't we under people rickets, that have run out of ideas like that. Do, yeah, yeah. Like, shoot shoot increase your shots and one of the first things you said in the post match was shots now that might just be a little bit of a coincidence but it did seem and i was chatting to chris at half time on whatsapp again um, and i thought chris was trying to be positive and i was pulling him down i, I always try <laughs> But, but I was saying, I thought the efforts were tame. The Perry one, give you credit, that was definitely a decent effort. But some of the saves were really easy. 
you know, routine, like yeah. a really, really easy soft, soft, um, soft save. Yeah, um, I didn't say to, me, to you, but I did say to my son watching the game, like while we were watching, I said, I'll tell you what, we're having chances here, but I just don't see a scoring. I can't see the yeah, actual goal yeah. coming. And as it turned out, and, that obviously was the case. And that's the context. Actually, actually, sorry, that's the context, isn't it? That yeah. we went into that game hopeful for something. And instead, we had the worst defeat of the season. And yeah. not only did we see a lot of the characteristics we've seen in the other games, the body language of the players, um, it's, you know, we're not going to go crazy. We're only like, you know, five, six games into the season, but the signs are not good. Yeah. Some of the when senior we players the, as well. Yeah, the, the body language, like you say, but we're saying, look, watching back the highlights, the amount of people who are turning around and looking at other people, again, it's all signs of teams we've seen before that run out of ideas, that are struggling, that are low on confidence. They're holding their hands up. They're looking at the heavens. They're pointing at each other about who's done something wrong. You know, again, and I don't want to keep harping on about him, but, you know, I don't see anybody like Luke Leahy in there pulling the team back together, galvanising, telling people not to worry about mistakes and, and sort of helping us mentally get over these blocks. Because what happens this season is we concede one goal and we just crumble. We just fall away. We, we completely stop, stop attacking and we start gifting up chances after chances. We look nervous. We look like we're snatching at stuff. As Ollie says, it's early in the season. I, we've never, ever talked about a pizza trophy game this much on Salopcast. I, I think you've given them cursory mentions in the past, but th this is sort of the, the most recent of a of quite a clear trend in how this team plays and what the performances are like. So, you know, you don't read too much into one game, especially when it's in a, in, in a league trophy, but it's worrying signs and trends, isn't it? Yeah, and it's one of those games, isn't it, where you've got that kind of like, I'd say probably the majority of fans were quite pissed off. And then you get some fans saying, you know, like, what are you, what are you talking about? It's only in the season. And I can understand both sides. But I think, you know, it's a it's an emotional game. And you've just watched your team um, put in another poor performance. And in talk of performances, I'm just going to kind of run through some data. So thanks to that Cheltenham fan who kind of pointed out um, and took me on the road of misery. Um, but, yeah, looked at some of the data. Um, and in League One, these are all League One stats, we are... Um, we are the lowest XG in the division. So that means in terms of chances, good chances or chances we've created, we're the lowest, cumulative in the whole division. Um, 12, uh, XG against isn't too bad, we're 12. So at least we've got a bit of a defence to talk about. Shots per match, 24th. Shots on target, 24th. Dribbles per game, I thought it was an interesting one. Bottom as well. Um, some teams have three or four times more dribbles than us. Um, goal scores per match 18, but we're, we're quite lucky there. And goals scored, goals conceded per match was seventh. But then like, this one really surprised me. So number of long balls first, and clearances per match, tackles per match first as well. So yeah, some pretty damning stats there. Um, and I find it, I find it, it's it's it's, it's linked to and supports the eye test that we've seen, Mike. Um, that the football we've been seeing has been really poor. But if, if somebody had showed you those stats and said Steve Cottrell was still in charge, would you have been that surprised? You know, we didn't create a lot under Cottrell. We were relatively direct. We played long balls. We didn't really look after the ball. We didn't, we didn't dribble a lot because we didn't play with width or anybody that ran with the ball. You know, so for all the talk over the summer of the new football structure and the new manager and a huge clear out of players, I, I can't see that much that's changed, but except we're just slightly worse at the same tactic that we had last season. And not just slightly worse, but a lot worse. We've only scored one goal from set piece, which is yeah, which exactly. is normally the reason when we went off on a big bad run under control. So the things we were effective at, we've got worse at, and the things we wanted to improve at, 
we've got no better at. So I, I can't really see what 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 Taylor's trying to trying to do. And I think that leads on to one of the questions we've got for the rest of the pod, doesn't it? It's like we were told when Taylor came in that we were going to completely change the way we did things. We were going to play a different brand of football. We were going to be more possession based, be more attacking, be more front foot. I can't see any of it. I haven't seen us play any football this season. We we have a little um, bit more possession, so we're the thirteenth yeah, now in the division for, yeah. for possession, but we're not going anywhere. So, mm. like for all the questions that Chris put into the agenda, is like, do we have a plan? Well, the plan I see is pass the ball around the back for a bit and then lump it long or into channels. And one of the main targets is Bowman, and Bowman ain't a target man. He's he's never been a target man. So why we are having these tactics it just seems very it seems very more dimensional even paul simpson talked about our approach um and yeah paul simpson's no tactical genius and if he's talking about our approach um yeah it doesn't um, doesn't bode well and yeah i'm just I'm a little bit lost to what we're doing you know I, there's a really really good tweet from um from paul Hewitt. And he said, other teams and managers with new squads, similar budgets have managed it. Look at Cambridge, look at Vale, Exeter as well. Um, they've had enough time on the training ground to get their ideas across. We were a promised better style of football. But we're not seeing it, are we? I know it's five games in and all that kind of stuff. But you'd at least see something. You'd see something yeah. that you can kind of put your hat on. I was putting my hat on new players coming in. Um, but Chris, we it's we well, seem not just that lacking we ideas. saw snatches of it we saw snatches of it against Cheltenham you could see I, I I left that game even though we weren't brilliant thinking okay I can see what they're trying to do then we had Leeds United where the first half was very good and everyone's saying yeah you can definitely see what we're trying to do and then it's tailed off that's what's the worrying thing for me what glimpses we've seen were in the first couple of games and then the momentum has We've gone backwards, not forwards. You're supposed to make progress as a new regime comes in. It feels to me like we've just regressed. And right now, they look to me like the confidence is shot to pieces. And I don't see what, what they're trying to do. I just don't see how what where the football's coming from. Because it's it's been painful to watch, frankly. Yeah, I don't know about you guys. Sometimes I listen to Taylor's interviews and it's a little bit, a little bit word soup. He does like to talk, doesn't he? Um, but if, I mean, Ollie, you, you like your tactics and stuff. If you're going to boil it down for me, what you think we're trying to achieve this season tactically on the pitch? What What do you think it is, sort of shape wise, and, and the way we approach the games? <sighs> so one of the things I don't I don't quite like or get is obviously having a defence midfielder with a back three. That seems to me quite defensive, and it makes it quite easy for the opposition to try and mark as well. So, but we were playing Keener there, and I think we've learned quite quickly that he doesn't have. He doesn't have the ability or showing the ability today, not saying he can't do in the future, to pick that ball and play it out. Um, and he's been targeted in it. And against um, Carlisle, he actually got moved to right wing back and got subbed at half time. So that's not really working. So we're trying to play the ball out the back, but that hasn't worked. So we don't have the personnel to do that. We're trying to play balls down the channel, but we don't really have wing backs that are fast and dynamic enough to kind of get up there. Um, we've, we've Shipley, um, I think, is a decent wing back. But on the right-hand side, and that's not Winchester's natural game. He's a good player, but that's not his natural game. And then we're but playing all balls. Yeah, switching. Yeah. We're doing so. You say, when you're talking about playing with wing-backs as well, if the wing-backs aren't done having going forward, the, the strikers aren't running into the channels either. So we're completely ignoring that sort of, you know, end, you know the, the opposition's wide areas. We're not really playing into them at all. And that's where we got a lot of, a lot of joy over the last few seasons of overlapping full-backs to, to, to whip the ball in. You know, if we've got two 
strikers that are staying in the box, why are we not getting bodies up the up the width and whipping the ball in? It, it seems really counterintuitive. And then when we don't have an option on the ball, or even just through design, we lump it forward to Bowman, and Bowman and Doe are not target men. Um, and unfortunately, Bayless has not been playing very well at all. Odo's is not playing very well. Bowman isn't that good and isn't playing very well. Um, and then you add all that together, players of low confidence, trying the ball's bouncing off them. And a bit like the, um, the, the Forest Green game, you keep trying, you keep losing the ball, you don't get anything. And then eventually you just have big gaps. And that was the biggest thing about that Forest Green game, is that how much space did they find, Chris, when they counterattacked us? It was absolutely gaping. Um, there was huge gaps. Um, and we just don't look organised. It's it, And the players don't seem, they're not trying, but they don't seem to be trying that hard. And you only need to be off it a little bit in professional football, I'd say, for it to be noticeable. Um, and you see it when we're running back or heads drop. Um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be a lot of confidence. And I don't know, I have no idea what this is, but... Yeah, I, I saw I saw a tweet from Andy Davis, and he said, "I was thinking exactly the same thing." Revelating to Paul Hewitt's tweet, I was watching Cambridge of the night, full of energy, vibrant on the ball, um, Okunbiri and the lad, an eye for goal. Um, listen to the Vale manager and a man with a very clear plan and the type of player that fits that plan. And I don't know, it's I don't know. I'm just like, what's the plan? We're not really yeah. sure, um, and it's all a little bit confusing. And that kind of when the performances are bad, you're not sure what you're doing. It I think you're, you're confidence. The point you make earlier on about um, about Noah Kenny. So obviously he's been brought in as the linchpin in the central midfield. They've done their scouting research on him. They've gone out and got him. They made a big fanfare about him coming in about how excellent he was. He, he started all right in his first match, got man of the match. Um, but you know, two, three, four weeks on, we're already swapping him out, sticking him at fullback. So Winchester can go in the central midfield. So. You know, Taylor's big idea that, oh, yeah, Winchester's fine at fullback and that's where we want to play him. Already, he, he's sort of reinventing the idea. So, is that, a, is that a signal that things already aren't working? That, that, that... I think he's been a bit unlucky with Thorpe getting injured um, in defence yeah. manager. I think Thorpe getting injured is probably going to play right wing back. Bennett's had his appendix out as well. I and mean, then obviously Shipley's done his knee. So, I think the manager's been a bit, a bit unlucky with personnel. Um, but, yeah, what's your thoughts, Chris? I also wonder if we're if the way we're playing right now or trying to play is it even what Taylor really wants? I found the whole thing confusing. From the moment Mickey Moore got this job, he said we were going to stay three at the back. He said that before he'd even appointed Matt Taylor. Now Matt Taylor at Warsaw did not play this way. He played he played a four three three or variation of at Warsaw, and you, you hear what Warsaw fans had to say. And yeah, they were frustrated with the defeats and they were frustrated with the way the results went, but they said that it was actually good stuff to watch. And you could see that their team was trying to play football. So I do, my one thing where I feel a bit sorry for Matt Taylor is if he is basically having to operate almost to someone else's plan and it costs him his job, I hope if it does one day cost him his job, he can look in the mirror and say, I did it the way I wanted to, because I hope he doesn't lose his job doing it someone else's way, because that it just confuses me. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not what he's wanted to do in the past. Ollie. I will just want to jump on that. I understand that player managers might have their favourite formation and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, anyone that's going to be a professional football manager should be able to play different formations. Um, and he knew that. I'm sure that was one of the first things that Mickey Moore told him, that he was going to play this style because you've got, you've got Flanagan, you've got Feeney coming in, you've got Dunkley, 
Um, we've got players that play three at the back. That's a formation. I understand the question, but I don't. I don't know. I don't think there's a lot of merit. If I'm being a bit harsh, because a full manager who's done all his licenses, coached to you know, you know, Louvre Academy at Spurs and all that kind of stuff, should have the skill set um, and should be able to do it. And he signed up for it. Is that fair? Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not going to say. Yeah. I'm not going to say he he doesn't carry the can if it doesn't work. But I just I just would like. To... If this carries on for another two or three games and we're still talking about rubbish football and poor results, then I kind of hope that he's given a bit of freedom to try to try something else because this is not working and it's dull. I, tactics, I wouldn't mind so losing here's... if I was entertained. I'm not entertained, Ollie, and that is winding me up. Yeah. Well, we, well we're seeing poor performances. We've not seen a, a good style of football when we're losing games. Um, a lot can be forgiven, as Mike said, you know, earlier on in, in the season in terms of podcasts. You know, if you win games, that you can get, you know, you can get a lot of forgiveness for that. Um, and I stay, yeah. I'd, I'd love to love to hear more in-depth answers about Matt Taylor about the style of play and what the tactics are, because I don't hear him really answering that at the moment or being asked that question. And I think it's a question that's going to be continuing to ask by the fans, if not by the media. Yeah, like you say, if it's a mandated three-five-two, like you say, he would have known that when he signed up for it. So if he didn't like that, if he couldn't, if he didn't think he could manage it, he shouldn't have took the job. But. Um, I think regardless of tactics you're playing as well, then, then you start looking at whether the squad we've assembled are even capable of playing the tactic. You know, we like you say, we've been unlucky with wing-backs, but we, we haven't got any... There doesn't seem to be a lot of pace in the team. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of height in the team outside the centre-halves. Um, and pace and height are two of the real key things you need in League One to, to compete. If we're a slow, small, knock-it-around-the-back team, we're going to get found out because we've, we've watched enough League One football to know you've got to be big, strong, fast, powerful direct to get out of this league or, or, or achieve anything in it, I think. How important do you think it is that we've got a break this weekend? Is that going to be a curse or is it going to be a gift? There's a gap yeah. now. <laughs> the million dollar question, it could go either way, couldn't it? We could have a real big reset, a big team meeting, discuss what's going on, loads of time in the training pitch, really work on some shape and some patterns and stuff. Or it could be an opportunity then for forget about what's happened at the weekend, have enough time to go back to the old routine, go back to their own ways and, and we see no change come come the next match against Bristol Rovers. So I'd like to think they're going to really put the work in, but how much can you work? What can you get out of this squad? I don't really, it's difficult to tell, isn't it? What do you reckon, Chris? Given we were due to play Bolton Wanderers this weekend, uh, I'd say it's a gift because we'd have lost that game. We'd have definitely lost to Bolton Wanderers the way if we played anything. Even we, You could play twice as well as we played against Forest Green and we'd have still lost to Bolton Wanderers. So probably having that game uh, postponed isn't bad timing. A bit of time to work on it. Bristol Rovers is a tough game, but it's probably more winnable. So, yeah. But Joey Barton, like, he's a bit of a knob. but oh, He's a massive knob, but he's, he's not. <laughs> he seemed to have this thing with Steve Cottrell. And those two, uh, you know, obviously Cottrell's gone in our well. dugout, probably takes some of the heat out of it. Luke Lee, he's, he's not really in our team anymore. He's good at tactics. I will give Joe Barton his dues. He is a really good football manager when it comes to tactics and game plans. No, I and won't give him anything, Ollie. He's a knob. Yeah, he is a massive <laughs> knob. I'm not saying he's, not saying he's got a massive knob, but he is a massive knob. But um, in terms of um, if, uh, get a team to play, a tactical team to play, with a team that's struggling, it's going to be really fascinating to see what... Um, what um, Matt Taylor and his backroom staff are going to do for this one. Yeah, I would say this this little break also does have quite a little bit of a problem with Taylor in that it's going to build pressure. So South fans have come off, you know, four arguably poor games. People are a bit pissed off. People are wondering what the plan is, what the tactic is. 
by the time the Bristol Rover games come around, we're going to be really chomping at the bit to see what, what they're able to do now, what's going to come out of the, of the dressing room. And if in that Bristol Rovers game, it doesn't go well after the first 25, 30 minutes, there's going to be a lot of pent-up frustration that, that you know, there's a chance it could boil over uh, in the crowd, but not, not to any, you know, trouble or anything, but just I think there's going to be a heightened atmosphere at that ground because we're so low and we've been waiting so long for, for something to happen, I think. A question to want to ask you guys. Has Obviously, we know all the turmoil um, and Matt Taylor's come into a, a wicket, which is a tough one. The chairman has got rid of a manager with most of the fan base had a very good rapport with. He wasn't sacked. We finished the season. Okay, we didn't finish the season great, but most fans were quite happy with last season. Does that make the job much tougher for Matt Taylor? Definitely, I think. I think it wasn't an enforced change in manager. So he's, he's coming into a position where, like I say, we didn't wave Steve Cottrell off to a, to a bigger offer. You know, happily say, well, I understand why he's gone because he's getting more money he was doing up the pyramid. And Steve Cottrell didn't do a bad job. He did a really good job. I think, you know, when he netted all out and we finished, you know, whatever it was, 12. That's a good, that's a good job for a Shubertown fan. I wasn't a massive Steve Cottrell fan. I didn't love the football. I didn't particularly like the guy, but I love the result. I love the fact that he, he got us a good season out of you it. Felt you could go into um, a game thinking you might actually win. Yeah, and he, at least he made us believe that the team would try and they would have pride in playing for Shrewsbury Town. And short of nothing else, they would always give their best and they would fight to the end. I haven't seen that out of uh, a, a Taylor team really yet. I see heads go down, I see, I see you know, shoulders drop when it's not going their way. And he sort of said in, in interviews, the one thing you always get out of my team is 100% effort. But, you know, looking at the last three matches, I've not really seen that for 90 minutes. Chris, what's your thoughts? Uh, it's, I feel like I'm going to repeat myself, but yeah, I can't. I can't disagree with anything Mike's just said. It's been a, it's been grim and depressing to watch. And yeah, you'd. I talked to you. I think somebody commented earlier on uh, the the body language of the players, and I, I've noticed that a few times. And not just young players either. We've talked about bringing in young players, but it's some of our more experienced pros that I've worried about a little bit. You know, we talked about Bayliss's drop in form. I, I, the camera happened to close in on him after a couple of the goals last night, and you saw him trudging back to the halfway line, and he just looked like he just looked flat and uninterested. There was no ways to get the ball back, get us going again. Now, I don't want to pick on Tom Bayliss because ultimately I'm not in his head and I don't know what else is going on there, but I'm just saying what I see with my eyes. And he doesn't look right to me and he doesn't look like, he, he looks like he doesn't want to be there. And I, I, I'm probably doing him a complete dis disservice, but it's how it feels. And I don't want to see that from our players. You know, as, as Mike said, all we ask for as Shrewsbury fans is a is 100% effort and uh, yeah, and a bit of commitment. And if we're not getting that, then then you get you start to get depressed and that's how it feels at the minute. And, and it, would you say being, that, we say that the, the, the job is harder for Matt Taylor given Steve Cottrell left? I think it's harder to win the fans over, for sure, because of all the reasons we've said. Yeah, I mean, the job itself, it, it's the same. You could have had a worse deal. For a guy who's been out of football for a couple of years, he's been handed a mid-table League One squad. Now, yes, we've lost a few players, but he was able to... You know, we've still got five, six, seven regular starters there who were in a team that finished 12th last year. So he's not been dealt the worst hand in the world. So I'm not going to give him too much sorrow there. I'm going to say that... You know, he considered himself pretty lucky to walk into that job and that squad. So, no, I 
get on with it and give us some results, please. I think we've got enough in that dressing room to not be any of the relegation zone. I, I believe that. I, I don't know if we'll come on to that. We're going to talk, you know, is it manager or is it player that's responsible for full for performance at the moment? But I think we've got the players and I think the coach has got to get more out of them because I think there is more in that squad than we're seeing. That's my belief. And, and this is a big two weeks now for, for Matt Taylor. Um, another tweet from um, from um, Pooley, um, which I thought was a good one. He said, a dismal watching um, after the Tuesday night game. He said, repeat what I said on Saturday, watching it close up, several definitely going through the motions. I'm not sure the regime has landed as one would hope. On paper, the squad is decent, but it's not happening. And an interesting reply from Sean, where he said, could the head coach isn't getting his message across? After all the upheaval in the summer, I wasn't expecting a seamless transition with the young coach. Um, if we managed to get 50 points to stay up, with only less five to get less five games to go, that that be okay for him. What's your thoughts on that, Mike? It's always interesting to hear stuff like that from Pooley, as, as somebody who's been in football and played the game at a professional level and still knows people in the game. That he can look at a squad on a pitch and think some of these guys aren't buying what he's selling, um, and thinking that his, his message isn't landing. That's a big worry as well. You want a new manager to get the squad in and get them to go along with it now. It's difficult to tell which players Pooley's talking about, but if he's talking about some of Cotswold's men that have seen Taylor come in and they're not convinced if there's a schism in the squad or something like that, that's that could be concerning. But we're only, you know, we're only just guessing off off people's sort of um, body language on the pitch. But I mean, I take Pooley's view on it over a lot of other people because he knows sort of football and footballers and and, and what can go on. So yeah, I read that as well. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I wanted to put that one in there because I thought it was a good point and. And that's why for me these two weeks are so key. Um, yeah, we were a bit confused. You know, we're keen amateurs, very, very much amateurs when it comes to watching football and talking about tactics and stuff. Um, but it's been fascinating to see how the players perform and react now. We've got but, but the, as we said, the fixture list starts getting a bit more difficult. We should have been playing Bolton, we're playing Bristol Rovers, then we've got Charlton. Um, to be honest, I haven't looked at October's fixtures that yet. It's, it's it's Oxford after that, so then it does Oxford get more and Oxford are yeah. doing well. Um, they spent a lot of money. So, yeah, fixtures definitely get tougher. And we did look at this, didn't we, when the fixtures just came out. It was all like, that's, that's a good start. And we've got points on the board, which is important. Um, but, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we progress in the next few weeks. Yeah, and, and I think that's that's probably the best point to leave that on and start looking forward, actually. You know, it's the, the classic maximum of football, judge them after 10 games. Well, they haven't had 10 games yet. We picked up nine points in the first few games. You had a little bit of a downward turn in the last few games and we're all sat here depressed now but I think I think you two will agree with me I'm hoping I'm desperate when we play Bristol Rovers we come out and we're looking more prepared and we're looking like we've got a better plan and, and we look like a proper team when we kick on from there and actually at the 10 game review we're sitting here saying oh, I don't know what that little depressed podcast was about we're brilliant now and we're, and we're, we're kicking on and, and we can see what the plan is that's what I hope happens going forward whether I think it'll happen now is another thing but I think we should we should sort of couch all of this negativity in you know we, we will wait for the 10 game review to really make a, a proper assessment on it, I think. Yeah. And not just results at 10 games as well, because you've just listed the fixtures. The chances are in the next four or five games, we probably will lose at least two or three of them because these are top sides who are probably going to be challenging for the top two this season. So for me, it's, I don't think it's fair to say to Taylor, okay, you've got to go and win those games. Obviously we'd like mm -hmm. to, but what I want to say is, you know, if we do go down to some of those sides, go down fighting, show that, you know, 
if we lose, let it be because the opposition were too good for us, not because we defended yeah. like a bunch of amateurs. Let, let, let's see some effort from our side. Let's see some attempts on goal that show we've got a plan. And if we go to Charlton and we lose that game 2-1, but we've played well, you know, I'll, I'll come away from there. You know, I could hold my head high with that, as it were. So it's, it, I think we have to sometimes, Shrewsbury fans, wind me up because they think they almost feel you know you lose an away game one nil and everyone's panicking and you think well we're going to lose you know we've always lost away games one nil from time to time but it's is everyone panicking though i think there was a real disconnect and it was, i'm going to use tom and he won't mind me saying this we were chatting in whatsapp again i've mentioned that a few times tonight but um we we're chatting to tom and tom's going i don't understand what the thing was and he's like the first question do you watch the game tom he said, no i didn't and for me that seems to be a bit of a disconnect at the moment that the guys have begun to all the away games guys have seen all the games it does seem to be a little bit disconnect that yes people who maybe there's people who've probably been to all the games as well who think we're doing okay and they're happy with where we are but for me yeah it was a bit of a an outpouring oh yeah i'll just say that i don't know i thought it was a fair cop to be frustrated on tuesday night oh god yeah yeah and i would say it's, it's too early in the season to panic I don't think oh yeah no one's anywhere. panicking it's, we're just getting it's, frustrated after another poor yeah. 90 minutes a, a general level of concern that can easily be turned around with a few results and 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 like Chris says, it's it's not even the result in the actually. No, it's, I think it's the manner, bit of the manner of the performance. Yeah, it's it's showing that there's something there that can be worked with and it's going to improve. I'm not expecting us, like you say, to go out and win the next three, but if we put in some battling performances and you know, like you said, we're burnt, if the other teams are too good, that's fine. I just want to see see some intent and see a plan, a clear approach on the pitch, which is is what we're not getting. Yeah, so I think that's a good place to to leave um, the football. Um, couple of kind of salad news and um, topics um yeah interesting view again we're going to be whinging a bit as true town fans i did want to talk about the financial situation the fact there's nothing come out of the club again looking at the time i'll leave that one for another day i doubt the club are going to announce anything soon uh, but linking back to all those weird statements that came from the chairman in the summer um, but there's a piece of news that was the bottom of an article chris and um, that parker has departed the club um yeah, from a, a media point of view, why do you think maybe he was just at the bottom of an article? Oh, I can only, this is supposition, but to me, it's probably to save the lad from embarrassment, to be honest. It's clearly not worked out. He's only been here a few weeks. Uh, you saw him at, I've never even seen him play, I don't think. You saw him at Stour Bridge in a pre-season friendly and tell me he was uh, not good. And I'm being kind there, I think. Uh, the coaching staff have seen him day in, day out in training. And I would imagine that they've come to a similar conclusion. Now, we could put out a big statement saying Michael Park has been released after two months at Shrewsbury Town, or we could, you know, do it a little bit more quietly and give him some dignity. So I, I hope that the, the way it was done was for that, because I'm not sure I'm not sure you need a big statement to announce the departure of an 18-year-old who's never been anywhere near your first team. No, I think that's fair. Um, yeah, he didn't look, he didn't look um, all that at Starbridge, but yeah, fingers crossed, could wish him well. Um, and then, yeah, there Absolutely. was... Um, Men, we meant I don't know if we mentioned this because it's pre pre pod or during the pod that um that Keen has been called up for Liberia, Chris. So he's got a couple of games for them. Yeah, so now Kenna's off there uh, this weekend. I think I think they're playing Morocco on Saturday and Ghana on Tuesday. So bit of an international experience for him. Might do him some good. You know, I think we'd all agree that after a reasonable start, his form has dipped to the point that he was whipped off the pitch against Carlisle and wasn't involved at all at Forest Green when most of the first team squad was. So maybe this is a chance for him to reset, get some football and come back a bit more confident again. We'll see. Or it's and then, a chance for him to get an injury and get really tired and come back and be less effective still. <laughs> it's going to be go, a shame. That he's That's the miss, negativity we want. He's going to miss the tactical masterclass over the next two weeks. So he'll be a little bit behind. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works out. But yeah, 
I'm hopeful, actually, just on that going back to hopeful with the new players, a bit of bedding in. We've got a bit more quality coming to the team, and yeah, um, Ken will have to catch it when he comes back. And then a couple of um, comments, a nice one as well. So Harry Burgoyne is now a father. His, his partner gave birth um, to um, a little girl on the weekend, so congratulations to Harry. Um, good luck with a lack of sleep. Um, and yeah, he's, I'm 21 months down on that journey, so I can I can imagine the joy that he's going to have, but also the lack of sleep is going to um, yeah have an impact on him, that's for sure. He looked like he was struggling for sleep at Forest Green. So, you know, we won't give many blame there. You know, understandable for performance there. Yeah. He's just got a little one that, yeah. Congrats, Harry. And then one more story, Chris. Yeah, we've just got on the agenda Lenny the Lion as well. Some Shrewsbury fans will have seen, uh, well, most Shrewsbury fans, I'm sure, have seen the news that Ron Miller, who uh, plays Lenny the Lion, is retiring after 30 years of doing uh, Lenny the Lion. I think there's a bit more to it than that, to be honest, but I don't think we can go with that in the pod. But uh, Ron, fought, and sadly, will no longer be... Are you going to share an exclusive here, Chris? Or... Yeah, I think uh, there's been plenty... If people want to look for it on social media, there's plenty out there to suggest that there's more to that story than meets the eye. But it's uh, it's a shame in a way, because uh, you know, Ron Miller's a top guy for those of us who know him. I, I, do, you know, do you know Ron, Mike? Have you come across him before? Yeah, he's, he's an, he's an absolute, he was always knocking around there and running the bus. He's an absolute to go legend. To from. He was good to yeah, me. I had a uh, I, back in the uh, back in the Great Escape days, late nineties, early two thousands, and I was you know Ron really took me under his wing. Actually, I had some problems. I was out of work at one point, and he bless him, he got me a job at his wife's garage, and uh, his family looked after me. And I'm, I'm, I'm Ron Miller's an absolutely top bloke who I owe a lot to. So I'm uh, I'm I'm sad to see him stopping doing Lenny the Lion, and I. I I hope we'll still, I was pleased to see that they've made him a life member of the club because he's he's been an absolute institution of the place and the kids absolutely love him and he's a yeah. he's a top guy so it'll be it'll be weird not seeing Lenny the Lion on the pitch anymore but yeah well done Ron and uh, yeah, yeah good in, good innings as it were it's another one of the old guard going isn't it you know obviously Sid moved on from the club shop and you know Ron's moving on so it it feels like a little bit of a change in the guard but at least like you say the club are looking after him and making him life members and and ref, you know reflecting the service that they've given but. Um, I don't know what you were alluding to there, Chris, but I did notice at the start of the season, the foundation got a couple of little lion mascot people wandering about now. It did feel like a few too many, you know, cooks spoiling the broth, maybe. I don't know. But, um... They do. They have mascots called Blue and Amber, and uh, you'll oh, still be you seeing those. Right. There you go. Say no more. <laughs> so, guys, any final thoughts? We said all the thoughts. Yeah, just just fingers crossed something happens in that training ground in the next week or so. That's that's all we can hope, really. And I think, you know, regardless of what we said tonight, I'll turn up against Bristol Rovers. I'll be cheering the team on. I want them to win. I want Matt Taylor to be a huge success. But I don't. I think it would be remiss of us not to come and air concerns about what we've seen in the last few weeks. I think I think, I think that's normal. But like I say, just, uh, just keep getting up there and supporting them, yeah. Brilliant. Cheers. Cheers for that, Mike. Cheers for joining me, um, Chris and Mike, this evening. It's been good to have you on. No worries. And fingers crossed you back I would, again I'd soon. say I've enjoyed it, but I, I don't know if I need to go away and have about another four <laughs> beers now to get over the depression. But it's always good to I've, talk to you two. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I dwell in it. It's fine. It's, it's good. Good therapy. And yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Really, really appreciate your support. Uh, thanks for the questions and the comments on Twitter. And um, yeah, we'll be back again soon.